0: Welcome to Chapter 1 of Health System CIO's chat with Chuck Christian, VP of Technology and Engagement with the Indiana Health Information Exchange. In this segment, Christian talks about what healthcare can learn from Facebook and Google's mistakes when it comes to data access, why consent issues still pose significant challenges for HIEs, and the role he believes patient-centered data homes can play in facilitating interoperability. Looking back at 2018, like any year, a lot of significant things happened. But I wanted to start with the announcement that came back at HIMSS from about Verna about data. And when this first happened, there, there was the whole big splash with, you know, let's overhaul meaningful use, which you know, lots of people cheered. But we know that that's far more complicated than it sounds. And Yep. As far as something like my healthy data and ensuring that patients get a copy of their records, can you talk about what that entails and, and what are your thoughts on
1: that? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I understand. This is kind of like Blue Button 2.0. One of the things that uh, the Blue Button 2.0 is giving the patients uh, access to four years' worth of claims data. The patients will be allowed to give other people access to it, say if they have an app on their phone from a Medicare Part D, so they want to give them access to their medication history and profile, they could tell CMS, okay, I'm giving these folks the rights to have access to my data, and so then those people will be able to get in using the API and extract four years' worth of claims data. And one of the things I asked the folks when I was on the phone with them is Is there anything that CMS is doing to ensure that the secondary use of the data is going to be appropriate and protect the consumer? Right. And, you know, basically they said, well, once the patient gives their blessing to that individual to have that data, it's up to the individual to ensure that they read the privacy and use requirements and stuff about how they're going to use the data. And so I, I said to myself, I didn't say it out loud, when was the last time that I read an end-user mm-hmm. license agreement or a privacy statement? And how sure. many other other large companies that are in the private sector, and I'll use Google and Facebook, have been caught with their shorts around their ankles because uh, they've – they say, we're going to do one thing, but they wind up finding out that they're actually doing something different. And since these people are not uh, covered entities under HIPAA, they don't fall under of those categories, then it falls back to the Federal Trade Commission and individual state laws about how that's going to be governed. As, as we've seen through some of the things, it is concerning. You know, we actually saw Google Plus shut down. And so... Uh, we need to make sure that we're appropriately educating individuals about how your data is going to be used, rather than say, oh, sure, you can have it. I mean, how many how many different reward cards do you have? I know that my wife has a ton. And every time she signs up for one, I says, why are you doing that? She says, because I get a discount or I get offers. And I said, yeah, but you're also giving them the ability to track every purchase that you make, which they turn around and monetize and resell. And so they're making money off the stuff that you're giving to them freely. And I'm kind of concerned is a strong word. Uh, I think I need to learn more. But I, I do agree that We need to find mechanisms in order to provide ready access to patients to their health records that's appropriate. Uh, I mean, if if you go back to one of the, I don't know if it was one of the moonshot meetings where Vice President Biden and Judy Faulkner was in the meeting, and Joe made the statement that patients need access to all of their medical records, and Judy asked the question, well, why would you want that? Yeah. You know, are you are you going to understand it? Are you going to be able right. to use it? So that's kind of my question. And the other thing too is having spent a lot of time talking to a lot of physicians, they may or may not necessarily want complete load of ten, twelve years worth of data. If you're going to a your family practice doc, yeah, they're going to want to know what your life history is if they're going to take you on as, and be your primary care physician because they're supposed to be that gatekeeper. If you're going to a specialist, say a orthopedic surgeon, because you're going to have a knee or hip replacement, there are pieces of that they're going to want to know, and there's pieces of that the anesthesiologist who's going to be putting you to sleep is going to want to know, and there's also pieces that other people in your care team that during that process is going to know, but are they going to want to know your complete life history all the way back to when you were eight years old? I don't know, but uh, I'm pre-diabetic, so... My family practice doc, who's an internal medicine doc, he does want to know the historical because he wants to track my progress and how well I've managed my hemoglobin A1c over as much time as he possibly can. And I understand that. So, But that's those are data points that he wants. He doesn't want to know, when did I have my uh, right biceps tendon redone? Uh, and he doesn't want to know when I had the collies fracture of my left wrist and had it surgically repaired. Those are all data points, but it's not something that I need to drop into his EMR The other concern or question I have rather than the concern is in the mechanisms that we're creating now about moving this data around and storing it in uh, different silos, I'm reminded of some of the work that we did early on in Meaningful Use around medication reconciliation and trying to get a good and accurate medication list for that patient and realized in talking with the physicians, We had patients in the hospital that were taken care of by the hospitalist service, and then when we were discharged, we were discharged back to the service of their primary care physician. And realizing that the medication list at those points of uh, transfer were only as good as the last person they saw. The physician practice is going to have a different list because they don't have the information of what the medications list the patient was discharged with until that data gets to the practice, and then they have to reconcile the medications again. So right. it's kind of the same process. We're we're still dealing with silos of data, but uh-huh. we're we're looking for ways to update in a trusted mechanism those silos of data. And I don't disagree that that's. I think that's one of the underlying premises of interoperability without special effort. That's the verbiage that was used in the 21st Century Cures Bill.
0: Yeah.
1: But there's a lot of reasons that I could enumerate what's causing us some issues.
0: Okay, so really, really interesting stuff. And I think that coming from Seema Verna, when she she shared her really personal story, I think that, you know, that really carries a lot of weight and can push these things forward. Well, let
1: me give you a secret about Seema's story. And I I don't disagree that that story is a poster child, and it gets repeated Mm -hmm. in this country uh, every day way too many times. However, Seema and her husband and most of their medical records are in Indiana. They're from Indiana, and SEMA happens to be uh, acquaintances as friends with our CEO, John Kansky. All their records, if they've had care in Indianapolis, they're in the data exchange. They're already there. But I don't disagree that there's no easy mechanism for the hospital in, in Pennsylvania today to request those records be sent to them. However, there are things at work I've shared with you about the patient-centered data home a couple of different times. About The HIE sharing data between the HIEs is one normalized clinical data repository sharing appropriate data with another normalized clinical data repository that we can match patients appropriately back and forth. That's underway. We, We have shared records between Indiana and Colorado and California and gone to the other direction to East Tennessee. So that's in the works. It's it getting better every day, just like everything else we're doing. And this is uh, its a, a marathon. It is not a sprint. Uh, yeah. We tried it as a sprint and got it uh, breathless and exhausted uh, very quickly. So uh, we just need to keep digging at it.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I did want to ask about the Patient-Centered Data Home Initiative and, and really what's, what are the hopes like for the
1: next year or so. Well, one of the things we had uh, when we met earlier than this year was by the end of the year to have 35 HIEs exchanging data, not just ADTs, but also clinical records. And happy to say that by the end of the year, we're going to have 40 but it doesn't go without challenges. We've got a group of HIEs in New York that really want to participate. Unfortunately, their consent laws are different than the great majority of the countries. They have an opt in where the patients actually have to sign a consent that they agree to share their data. So, what New York can do they can accept ADTs of patients that may be getting care somewhere else that are, they have records of, but they can 't share the data back, and so the, it it kind of hamstrings the formative piece of that where we 're going to inform care wherever that patient is having care. Those are some of the thorny things that we need to address as a nation. Can we come up with a model of consent that works in every care setting? And the people that know me think I've lost my mind when I start saying we need an overarching federal law or regulation set of rules that covers these areas because you know, I'm pretty much a states' rights kind of guy. I always have been. You know, I, I believe yeah. healthcare is provided locally and needs to be governed locally, but there are ways of doing that. And that's one of the things that Patient-Centered Data Home does. It requires a legal agreement, but not one that governs the governance, uh, which is kind of redundant of the data itself. The agreement leaves the governance of the data in the local entities and local HIEs because we already have agreements with our participating facilities uh, around how we're going to use the data, what they can do with the data, what we can do with the data, and what we can't do with it. And so the local governance takes care of that issue and then If their local governance doesn't allow the data to be shared externally, then that's what happens. But most times it allows them to intake data and the fact that the sharing of this data is always predicated upon the treatment component of HIPAA. Because right now, until we we get into the expanded use cases, which will come with TEFCA, it's treatment, operation, and uh, payment are the three ways that we can uh, appropriately share you know patient protected health information, and so. Most of the uh, health information exchanges in the country are dealing with just treatment and uh, other relationships. But then that gets expanded a little bit when you're supporting uh, ACOs and the alternative payment models and stuff. But, it, it, but once again, that goes back to the local governance of that data.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from HealthSystemCIO.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at HealthSystemCIO.com backslash podcast.